This week on the Sport Blokes. This week we roll into the second round of the NBA playoffs. Nate's Colts have a win at the NFL Draft. The Panthers are on the prowl and Seattle are having a cracking postseason in the NHL. And I plug in the wrong fucking microphone for half the episode. Don't worry, it's still listenable. Let's go. It's 10.18 on Friday the 5th of May 2023. I haven't even finished editing the last episode yet, but it doesn't matter. Because we've got a lot of NBA to talk about. Stewie, how are you, mate? Oh, look, it's been a very, very long week, but still very <laughs> excited. It, it, look, it's hard not to be amped still. There is a lot of really, really great NBA to talk about. And, well, a, a little bit of extra stuff in a couple of minutes as well that we'll uh, we'll talk about too. Yes, indeed. And let me tell you, when it comes to the NBA, I might be on the cold and flus, but I've got some hot takes. Oh, look out. Yes. But anyway, let's cover the other stuff. Oh, well, actually, before that, Thanks very much again to Steve from the Oslo Crows. Uh, great interview on our last episode. Please check it out if you haven't already. He was very generous with his time and answers, wasn't he? Yeah, as I said in the episode, it's sort of one of these things we're so used to these really short cliche answers from people involved with sports. So it's nice to get a really good long answer on pretty much every question we gave him. Really, really great stuff. And one of my favourites, just not crickets as well. But let's get into the other stuff. Uh, let's call it teeing off, mate. You can go first. No, we're calling it the opening face-off because oh, okay. my stuff is hockey. Ah, of course. Well, please, let's face off. There we go. So I guess I wanted to take a quick couple of minutes, well, probably more than a couple of minutes anyway, to reflect on just how crazy the NHL playoffs have been this far. So if you go back to a couple of episodes ago, we were singing the praise of the Boston Bruins, and rightly so. They broke the record for the most wins in a single season in NHL history. They were looking amazing. Yes, indeed. And in the time since we recorded that to now, they've managed to blow a 3-1 series lead to the wildcard Florida Panthers and losing seven games, including game seven at home in overtime. Yes. Absolutely crazy. And that's a Florida team that finished 42-32, and 32, 23 wins behind the Bruins on the ladder. And now the bloody Panthers have gone into Toronto and won both games there against the two-seed Maple Leafs. So they've got a stranglehold on that series as well. Is this one of those hot goalie situations? You know how they always talk about hot goalies in the ice hockey? It seems that way. Certainly a lot of the recaps and the highlights I've seen, it does seem like their goaltender is pulling off a lot of saves, like some big numbers. And then as if that wasn't crazy enough, the bloody defending champion Colorado Avalanche, who were also a number one seed, got knocked out in seven games in their series by the wildcard Seattle Kraken, who are only in their second season and their first postseason. So the Kraken become the first team to knock out the reigning champions for their first postseason series win. And then they managed to get a split with the two-seed Dallas Stars in Dallas too. So there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening on that half of the draw. The bottom half going a little bit more to plan. The one seed's doing well leading their series right now. But yeah, absolutely crazy. And then going back to the Bruins, the reason why I wanted to bring this up was it got me thinking. And especially because I think we both know the NBA equivalent. So I wanted to have a look at how the other best single season record teams went in the other big four sports. And the answer is this. None of them, and I repeat, none of them won a championship. Yeah, I was floored when you told me this. And then funnily enough, I heard it on PTI the next day. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So the quick summary, obviously, yeah, the Bruins we just spoke about. The 2015-16 Golden State Warriors go 73-9, and also choked away a 3-1 lead, at this time against Cleveland in the finals. The 2008 Super Bowl, which is one that we absolutely love talking about. The previously undefeated New England Patriots lose 17-14 to the New York Giants, thanks largely to what, Nathan? To the David Tyree helmet catch. The David Tyree helmet catch. And I'm still very proud that I picked the Giants prior to that game too. Yep. 
I can definitely vouch for that. And I must admit, I didn't actually talk to you about this beforehand. I thought that's almost like trivia without notice. Like, what do you refer to that as? And it's always been the David Tyree helmet catch game. Yep. And yeah, an incredible result. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the first Super Bowl I ever watched with you. Uh, yeah, odds on. Yeah, chances are it was. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And then in the Major League Baseball, the best record belongs to the 1906 Chicago Cubs at 116 and 36, and they lost the World Series 4-2 against their crosstown rivals, the White Sox. So not good for those top teams. Speaking of crosstown rivals and the ice hockey, going back to that, I actually watched the game a part, well, not all of it, but because I had a couple of days off sick Monday, Tuesday, I actually watched a part of the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils in their game seven of their Subway series. So that was oh. interesting too. Yeah. There's been a lot of stuff on those YouTube shorts of those guys just slinging insults at each other, left, right, and center. And for anyone who has missed that, the Devils did win that one 4-3. So good result for them, I guess. Yes, indeed. Now, the only thing I could find that I guess you could maybe say kind of went the way of the team with the best record, if you go all the way back to the 1875 Boston Red Stockings, they went 71-8 and and were crowned National Association champions. But there were no playoffs back then. The World Series was still 28 years away at the time. So... I guess on a technicality, they kind of won it the same way a soccer team would win it in that they were just top of the ladder at the end of the season. Well, that's right. You can't choke if there's no playoffs to choke in. But it goes back to that thing we always talk about, about how the playoffs are almost a different sport, aren't they? Everything changes in the playoffs. It does, yeah. The pressure ratchets up. Yeah, players, um, look, there's certainly, I guess, some examples of that in the NBA that we'll talk about as well a bit later on. But yeah, you're right. It, It is a whole different game. And teams that maybe didn't put in quite the same sort of effort, we always talk about certainly Draymond Green would be somewhat average all the way through the regular season. Then he just becomes a a whole different beast. Jimmy Butler's another one. So (laughs) yeah, quite a few examples of that. And just quickly, I guess talking about teams that had incredible starts to the season, we spoke about the Tampa Bay Rays who had that incredible start with 13 consecutive wins. They're now sitting at 26 and 6. But gee, spare a thought for the other end of the spectrum, the Oakland Athletics really, really struggling out of the gates, currently sitting 6-26, and 26, became the first team in Major League Baseball history to lose their 23rd game before the 1st of May. Not good at all. And if I'm not mistaken, they're rumoured to be potentially moving to Vegas, which is kind of becoming a new sports mecca, isn't it? It really is the trend, isn't it? It wouldn't surprise me if one of the NBA teams started looking at doing that as well. I mean, what have they taken? The Raiders, they could easily grab these guys. They've got Is the there... uh, Golden Knights in the ice hockey. The rumours are that LeBron will purchase a team and either start them up in Vegas or move them to Vegas when he retires. Or the other rumour is that they'll reinstate Seattle and they don't like an odd number of teams, so they bring in Seattle and Vegas. So next few years could be interesting. And that would be quite a good way to do it. I mean, you think about it, 16 playoff teams, 32 teams total, one in every two team makes it. I kind of like those numbers. And just quickly, yeah, you mentioned the Golden Knights in the hockey. They're a one seed in their particular part of the draw doing quite well. So yeah, good times in Vegas. Indeed. So Nath, I believe we're staying in America for your part of the opening bounce. Yes, indeed. Yes. So the NFL draft happened recently, of course, and Alabama became the first college to produce both the first offensive player and the first defensive player selected since 1967, with quarterback Bryce Young going number one, fellow quarterback and his best mate CJ Stroud went number two out of Ohio State, and then Alabama's Will Anderson will be joining Bryce at the Texans with pick number three. Now, they gave up a bit of a haul to get him at number three, but all accounts are he is a very, very good defensive player indeed. 
and that your Colts, I heard, did fairly well? Yeah, so get this. We are the only NFL team in history to have five different quarterbacks to make 12-plus starts in a five-year span. Oh, wow. (laughs) So as I predicted, we got Anthony Richardson with the fourth pick. A little bit boom or bust. A lot of people have a lot of high hopes for him. It seems that we took a very athletic and good kind of sports stock approach. So Julius Brents, Josh Downs, Blake Freeland, and geez, I'm going to try this one. Adetamiwa Adeboy. If you say it fast enough, no one will know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's call him AA. Oh, defensive tackle. Yes, but uh, they're all absolute physical specimens and very athletic. Freeland was a son of two former athletes and his sister was a a track athlete as well, I believe. I actually saw, I think, was that the third or fourth round? I actually saw that live. So I got to watch a little bit, but uh, yeah, the Colts have got pretty good grades. A, A plus, I think only one B that I saw. So I'm fairly optimistic. Yeah, fingers crossed. Some very cool puns we can make with these as well. Obviously, Josh Downs, as a wide receiver, if he happens to maybe not quite move the chains, it could be a turnover on Downs. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed in the fifth round, Darius Rush, he is a, a cornerback, so probably won't be rushing quite as much as many of the other players on the team, but he might get the odd one or two here and there. Yeah, the odd blitz. A couple of other things. Lamar Jackson has signed with the Ravens. So after it was looking like it was almost certain he was going to be traded, he signed a five-year, $260 million contract with a $185 million guarantee. I think that's the third highest guarantee of all time. So he did pretty well in the end, given he had no agent. And also JJ Watt and his wife. Oh God, here's another name. Kaelia? (laughs) Anyway. They've announced an investment in Burnley FC. So we're seeing more and more athletes buying into teams internationally. And I do say probably helping out soccer. I don't know how local fans feel about this sort of, I mean, foreign ownership is so big these days, isn't it? And these players in the States are making pretty obscene money. JJ Watts, obviously one of the great defensive players of his generation. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on too. We'll see if they can do a bit of a Wrexham with Burnley maybe. Well, it's, I mean, he doesn't really have to do too much work. Burnley are actually top in the championship right now. They're streets ahead of Sheffield United, who are currently 10 points behind them. So it looks very much like Burnley will be going up. In fact, it's it's guaranteed, I would say, at this stage. So, yeah, they won't even have to face Wrexham, and I think he'll be moving on up. Indeed. Now, Nath, I did just want to quickly go back to Houston. You mentioned them a second ago with, obviously, those really great first-round draft picks couple of cracking names on their draft board. Juice Scruggs, hmm. pretty awesome name. Tank Dell, oh, and, and he, he, he's a guy from Houston as well. So they've drafted him from Houston to the Texans. It's almost like a, an Elijah one, I guess. The NFL has the best names. There's always so many great names in the NFL. And then you've got one from the fifth round that kind of reminds me a little bit of maybe a rugby name. Henry To'o To'o. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. There you go. Some absolute crackers there. I mean, you can sit there and look through them all day and just pick out beauty after beauty. I mean, it's just it's so much fun. And because so, we don't follow college football, that's kind of all we can do is look at the names and rely on the draft grades of other people. That's it. But no, look, it should be a, a good season. Hopefully your boys can turn it around a little bit and be a bit more relevant than they have been for the last few seasons. Yes, indeed. Well, the good thing is we got Gardner Minshew too, so we can bring along Richardson slowly. He doesn't need to start right away. True. So, Shui, over to the NBA where we have the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Suns, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Lakers, and Heat still standing as the second round is already in full swing. And I mentioned those teams in order for good reason because 
Well, they're ranked one through eight, are they not? Yes, they are, and it's the first time it's ever happened, which is pretty cool. I did see that, yeah. I mean, it is incredible, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's incredibly infrequent that a one loses to an eight, so you don't really have too many opportunities for that to happen. But then to have a seven beat a two, a six beat a three, and a five beat a four at the same time, it's, uh, yeah, incredible odds of that happening. Indeed. So, sure, we've got to wrap our first round a little bit before we get into the second round. Let's Maybe let's start out west where the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings finished in Game 7 and there was no lighting of the beam. Yeah, got the path wrong, but got the outcome right, I guess. I didn't see much of Game 6, but it basically seemed like the Warriors just shit the bed with a chance to close, which is very unlike them. And they let the Kings outwork them. They were plus 11 in the rebounding the Kings, biggest discrepancy in the series for them. Jordan Poole was trash and Andrew Wiggins was fairly ineffective. And I guess the bench as well outscored the Warriors 52 to 21. It's funny you say Jordan Poole was trash. I saw Rob Perez on Twitter. He referred to Jordan Poole as the walking, breathing Monopoly chance card. Straight to go collect 200 or straight to jail, no in between. <laughs> yeah, it's very few beauty contest wins in there, that's for sure. <laughs> or, is, or is that community chest? <laughs> uh, don't let the facts get in the way of a good joke. But yeah, I actually saw game six and seven. It was actually the series I saw the most of. So I saw four of the seven games and... Keegan Murray was the main one in game six. He absolutely dominated. He was magnificent. Oh, I've got very high hopes for his career. Really do. Yeah. And so Sacramento were looking bloody good. And I actually did to believe that they might win game seven. But uh, no, it didn't happen. I don't know if you got a chance to see game seven. Uh, bits and pieces of it. I mean, this was very much that virtuoso performance from Steph Curry, as I'm sure everyone's probably seen. The most points in a game seven in NBA history, which actually seems kind of low. It does, doesn't it? A little bit, I guess. But Game 7, the pressure of Game 7. But he was absolutely magnificent. Now, he took a hell of a lot of shots. I think it was something like 38 shots. It was 20 of 38. There you go. But he had to carry the team. I mean, Clay Thompson didn't play particularly well. Uh, well, just about everyone apart from Kevon Looney, who just keeps gobbling up rebounds like they're going out of fashion. It was kind of the Kevon and Steph show. It was like, all right, Kevon, you handle the rebounding and some of the defense, and I'll handle the scoring. <laughs> I honestly believe that Kevon Looney was the MVP of that series for the Warriors. Oh, look, I think you could make a very strong case. I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a fair call. Well, I mean, if you look at the numbers, obviously we know he's a guy that doesn't take a lot of shots, but 106 rebounds across seven games. The next best for the Warriors was 41 from Andrew Wiggins. More importantly, 37 of those were offensive, and he out-rebounded the league-leading rebounder in Sabonis by 29 even though he played 32 minutes less than him in the series. He was an absolute menace on the board. Those second chance points were absolutely huge across that whole series. So, yeah, I, I honestly believe, while Steph obviously won game seven for them with that 50 pace, I think Looney is the reason why they were in so many of those games. There were multiple times in game seven where they literally had three shot possessions because Looney picked up two offensive boards off misses. So, yeah, he was just massive. Massive figuratively and literally. Absolutely. Just quickly, Nath, I did want to talk about one of the craziest stat lines I saw, and it relates to Steph. So, Steph Curry's 34 years of age. Across that series, he had 34 rebounds, 34 assists, 34 made threes, and 34 made free throws. I saw that. I've got that on my list too. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. Oh, oh. <laughs> Although they did say that he played 34 minutes a game, which is not true. He played about just under 40. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But 
still very, very crazy to have all those 34s. Yes, indeed. No, he was fantastic. And, well, do we jump ahead to the next series? Well, I did actually just want to talk to you about one thing quickly, Nate. So after the series was over, Draymond Green came out in his podcast and said that he'd lost a lot of respect for DeMontis Sabonis for not shaking hands after the series was over, saying, amongst other things, you lost, deal with it, pay your respect. Now, I saw somebody respond by saying, this guy's telling other people how to behave? That's the height of comedy. What do you make of that? Well, I saw a video where someone showed him refusing to shake someone's hand. I can't remember who it was. Might have been after the Cleveland series loss. I can't remember, but bit of a hypocrite, really. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like The guy tried to stomp Sabonis' chest in. So, obviously, you can't imagine that they're besties or anything. And <laughs> I guess if, if you go back to the Bulls when they finally got past the Pistons and they kind of snuck past the Bulls' bench without shaking their hands, they copped a ton of grief for it. So, I guess I can see both sides of it. Sabonis does probably need to do better and be a little bit more kind of take the moral high ground. But, yeah, it's you're right. It's a bit hypocritical, isn't it? How banged up do you reckon Sabonis was? He did not look 100% right. And obviously he was playing with that broken wrist, I think it was, or broken thumb or broken something all season long. And then, of course, the Aaron Fox had a broken finger in his shooting hand. It, even though they were the highest seed, it's kind of a miracle they even got it to Game 7. Yeah, this doesn't feel like any kind of an upset at all. Which It's funny, the 6 and the 7 with the Warriors and the Lakers – Neither of those seemed like an upset in the slightest. I think we both picked those, didn't we? We both picked the Lakers and the Warriors? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So it's obviously not something that was too surprising if we both picked it. I dare say Harrison Barnes, another poor showing in Game 7. I've always found him to be a bit overrated. But on the flip side of that, Trey Lyles looked way better for Sacto than he ever did in a Spurs uniform. He gave them some really good minutes. As I say, I saw four of the seven games. And I was really impressed with what he did. But they had some really good role players. They'll feel pretty optimistic and they'll have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They might feel like this was one that got away. So I have every reason to believe that Sacramento will be a very good team for many years to come. Yeah, I kind of wonder what the situation is with Harrison Barnes's contract. Because if they can get away from that, I mean, look, I'm the first to put my hand up. I said when he left uh, Golden State that he was going to be an all-star player. And I was way off the mark. That guy just drifts in and out of series and games and he'll have a 30-point game one minute and then you turn around and he'll be 0 of 4 and 3 points the next game. And that's the thing. He kind of he can offer a lot of scoring, but if he's cold, he doesn't offer a hell of a lot. I think they need a big bruising big man to put next to Sabonis. I know he's a very effective small ball centre, but I think they need a taller, bigger centre to, to do a kind of Kevon Looney kind of role. By the way... They said that he was the, I wish I could remember what number it was, but he was definitely higher than 30. So he's being paid backup minutes and not even the highest paid backup. I think it was in the 40s. So a very bargain contract for Golden State for Kevon Looney. Mm, Absolutely. I've just had a quick look as well at Harrison Barnes. He is now an unrestricted free agent. So I wonder whether he's maybe played his last game for Sacramento. Interesting. Interesting. Would you want to pay him? I mean, he's probably wanting a similar contract to what he's just come off, which was anywhere between 18 and 24 million a year. I wouldn't want to give him 85 million over four years. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Mm, We shall see. So let's stay on that side of the bracket, Stewie. The Lakers then defeated the Grizzlies in game six, and it was an absolute blowout. I watched this one as well. I tell you what, I mean, there are games that are over at halftime. This one was nearly over before halftime. Anthony Davis was absolutely magnificent, and they made very light work of a Memphis Grizzlies team that just kind of fell apart at the end of the season, didn't they? 
Yeah, they did. I mean, look, again, injuries didn't help. We spoke about the Stephen Adams and the Brandon Clarks that weren't great. Luke Kennard going down late in that series with the shoulder. He was their best player off the bench pretty much for the entire series, which obviously then puts pressure on other guys to come in and make shots, I guess. And, you know, Santi Aldama played really well in that game, but obviously it was far too little for these guys to be even close to competitive. I mean, look, you got Jar Morant shooting three of 16 in a closeout game, Dylan Brooks, four of 11, who... I will mention, I'm sure everyone's probably seen, the Grizzlies have already basically said there's no circumstance where he will play for them next year. Was that harsh or was that fair? Uh, certainly the way that it was worded was pretty harsh, but certainly I can understand why they would do that. He was a distraction on and off the court. He was certainly not that good for them. He's saying he wants a bigger contract and a bigger role with that team. There's no way if he's on that same team with Desmond Bain that he's going to be the go-to guy as a two-guard. So, yeah, I can see them getting rid of him, no problems. And uh, he may not be picked up by – well, actually, there'll be other teams that'll pick him up, but I don't think he's going to get close to what he thinks he's worth. Some team will be desperate. How funny would it be if Dallas or someone picked him up and just added to that horrible chemistry experiment? They'll probably pay Kyrie too much, bring in Dylan Brooks. That'd be hilarious. But I noticed on Twitter, the account America is Musty, and I've mentioned it before, but he was mentioning, talking to former Dallas Cowboys legend Troy Aikman one time. And he was saying how one time Jimmy Johnson met with Aikman because Michael Irving, you know, Hall of Fame wide receiver, vital part of those Dallas Cowboys championships, but apparently he was partying really hard. And Jimmy Johnson, the coach, actually was considering, legitimately considering cutting him. And Troy Aikman said to him, no, 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 mate, don't cut Irving. The person you should cut is the fourth string tight end who's his best mate and who parties with him all the time. So clearly, and look, there's been some talk of scapegoating and that sort of thing. But clearly the idea is, okay, let's cut Dylan Brooks loose. And maybe that will help our chemistry. There was that story of Stephen Adams getting a players only meeting and saying, guys, we need to be a bit more mature. We need to be professionals. So yeah, I I agree. The under no circumstances thing was a bit harsh, but I definitely think it was the right call. And well, you know, my thoughts on Dylan Brooks, I uh, (laughs) mentioned uh, he was my starting small forward on a particular team last week. Yeah, absolutely. I I guess obviously for the flip side with the Lakers, I mean, there's a lot of things you could talk about. I guess the big thing is, D'Angelo Russell finally breaking that horrible record that he had of games under 50%. He had a 12 of 17 shooting 31 points. He was amazing. LeBron efficient with 22, you know, Davis 16 and 14 with five blocks, just a lot of really good individual performances by a team that absolutely rolled through it. I've got to say though, D'Angelo Russell, and look, I'm critical of him and he has been impressive in the next series. But a lot of those points came in garbage time. As I say, that game was over at halftime. It was a lot of front running from D'Angelo in that game. There was, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> made, put... he made some shots, no. Let's just let's oh, he be did. excited he did. for him. Yeah, no, he did. <laughs> but I wouldn't put as much credence into that performance as I would for ADs, for example. AD really played superbly well when the game was still there to be won. No, fair enough. Uh, it's just nice to see D'Lo actually hit some shots. Well, they need him to. They need him to to have any chance. So should we talk about that series? It's not an up at one all. Apparently, the average purchase price for games one to seven is $726 a ticket. Yep, it's absurd. I actually saw something really interesting where somebody was comparing, I think there was a game where the Lakers were playing directly after the Clippers in the first round, and someone was saying the cost for the Clippers game versus the Lakers, you know, just go to the Clippers game and sit in the toilets and wait for the Lakers game to start. (laughs) (laughs) Save yourself hundreds. I saw that as well. And I saw the time-lapse video of them changing the court, which was pretty cool too. 
very, very cool. So I guess what have you made of the series so far, Nath? So I saw game one. I didn't see game two. If I were Golden State, even though they've lost home court advantage, I'd actually still feel quite confident. The reason I picked Golden State is because I think that Steph has a better supporting cast than LeBron and a more reliable one. AD shut the bed again today. You just don't know which AD will turn up. He's just not consistent enough. And so for that reason, I still think the Warriors will win this series. Yeah. I unfortunately, as much as I'd love the Lakers to win this, I don't disagree with you. Look, it was a real a Jekyll and Hyde sort of performance from a lot of players. I mean, if you look at Clay Thompson today, he was spectacular. 30 points on eight of 11 threes. They had a real balanced attack, you know, 10 guys scoring six or more today. But I think it was just, I guess, them mixing it up. If you look at game one, the Lakers were a plus 26 points in the paint, whereas the Warriors were a plus six today. So they get rid of that problem of the free throw line uh, disparity where, where I think they only had six free throws in game one. So there's a lot of things that they kind of did to make those adjustments and, and be a little bit more, um, well, a bit less predictable, I guess. But, you know, it's hard when you've got someone like a Jared Vanderbilt trying to defend against Steph. It's, you know, you might get him for one game where he, he maybe doesn't go off, but you're not going to be able to do that over the course of a series. It's got to be said, though, Vanderbilt's D in game one was excellent. He's a very dogged defender. I love players that will put up their hand and want to defend the best player on the other team. It's really good. But the Clay Thompson thing is key. He's looked good in, well, I didn't see the second game, but he's produced in both games. And that's really important because he didn't have a spectacular series against Sacramento. So if they get even a slightly better Clay, I mean, they could go all the way. Oh, absolutely they could. Yeah. No, I'm certainly not going to make that mistake two seasons in a row of saying that they can't. Look, I think the thing for the Lakers is, and I saw Bo Estes, friend of the show, shout out to Bo. He actually said today it felt like the Lakers were satisfied with the split in Golden State. I think he's right there. Um, yep, I just agree. Really felt like the Lakers put the cue in the rack very, very early in this one. And I guess maybe some of the minutes caught up with them. AD played 44 minutes in game one, and I'm pretty sure LeBron wasn't too far behind him. Those guys were both sort of somewhere around about the high 20s. So I guess maybe they just thought, look, the load on AD and LeBron's been too much. We just need to get a little bit of rest. And I think Dennis Schroeder's probably one guy who is the big difference. You go to game one, he had 19 points. Game two, he was 0 of 3 from the field for four points. If they get that game one out of him, then I guess they're going to be competitive. If he plays like he did in game two, you're pretty much going to need LeBron and AD to be going nuclear. Otherwise, they're not going to beat Golden State. I've got a Bo Estes tweet as well. Golden State shot 40% from three in game one. They made 15 more threes, netting a 45-point advantage from the three-point line, and they still lost. <laughs> so it's yeah. been a funny I mean, series. Got, well, as I said, they got slaughtered, plus 26 in the paint for the Lakers, and the free throws were way, way, way higher because everything was outside for the Warriors and everything was in the paint for the Lakers. So they were getting to the line, getting free throws. I mean, you can dominate with the threes all you like, but you know, if you're giving up, stupid amounts of points in the paint it can still be tough to win and if you haven't heard our interview with Bo already do check out episode 128 because it was a rollicking good time it was so let's head to the other side of the draw in the west Shui, where well although they've maintained home court advantage and it's not a series until the road team wins Denver are looking very good against the Phoenix Suns team that may be without Chris Paul for games three and possibly even game four well he's definitely out for game three I I can't imagine that he'll be too good in game four if he plays. Look, I, this is exactly what I wrote. Denver are looking very good. And I think barring injury, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you're always going to be in with a chance if you've got Durant and Booker on your team. But 
I just think, you know, if you go back to what I said about this series, who's going to guard Jokic? And if you look at the two games so far, 24 and 19 with a plus minus of plus 19 in game one, 39 and 16 in game two. He's out-rebounded DeAndre Ayton by 20 in the first two games. It's dominance. Speaking of dominance, mate, I've got some trivia without notice. So Nikola Jokic is the fifth player in NBA history to record 20-plus points, 15-plus rebounds, and five-plus assists in three consecutive playoff games. Do you want to name the other four? Jesus, that's tough. No, Jesus did not play in the NBA, I'm afraid. (laughs) I know, he would have been averaging like quintuple doubles, but (laughs) I, I have to imagine Shaq would be in there somewhere. No, believe it or not. Wow, I know the assists would have been a bit of a push, but... So what was it? So it's it's 2015 and five, yeah? In three consecutive playoff games or more. All right. Will? Yep. He did it twice with a high of four games. Kareem? Yep. He did it three times with a high of three games. Okay. Now's where it starts getting a little bit trickier. You've got to think about guys that are getting big rebounds. I, I, I mean, I wonder whether there's a, a Malone in there, whether it's a Moses or a No. Ah, oh, no. I mean, I'll just start throwing big guys at you, like Willis Reed or, jeez, uh, they wouldn't have had assists all the way back in the early days. Bill Russell, maybe? Bill Russell, three games in 1962. There's one more, Stewie, and, well, one of my favourites. Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Tim Duncan, five games in oh, a row. Geez. Five games in a row in 2003. I should have known it would be a spider. Now, I want to go back to the whole Nikola Jokic stat padding thing. I looked at the stats, right? So he was 0.2 assists off averaging a triple-double, one of only, what, the fourth time ever it would have happened and only the third player ever? Uh, I think Westbrook's done it three times. Oh, okay, okay. So that'd be the fifth. Uh, It's not happened much, yes. So get this. I had a look at his box scores. The last time he played over 40 minutes in a game was in February. February. And then even after that, there was only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times after that where he played more than 35 minutes. So, look, if that was any other player, any other team, the coach would have found a way to get him that 10 assists average per game. So I do not believe he is a stat batter. And I'll tell you what, hold a gun to my head, I reckon it's a Denver-Miami NBA Finals at this stage. I just have to say, Nate, I, I was stirring the living shit out of you and I, <laughs> I should have... I should have known that you would have really gone into bat for him. It's just, as I say, there were a couple of games where it felt like he came back into games he probably shouldn't have just to pick up those last one or two rebounds or assists. It's it's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He's picking up a lot of assists because he's a good passer. He's picking up a lot of rebounds because he's a good rebounder. That's that's what I said. It was a semantic thing. But anyway, do you give Phoenix any chance at all? I mean, yes. Obviously, you've got to give him some sort of a chance. Oh, by the way, actually, Westbrook did it four times, not uh, not three. What am I talking about? So 16, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19, and 2021, 20, he did it. There so you go. Four okay. Times. There you go. Absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, reg- look, regardless of whether he's a stat or not, you've still got to go out and get the numbers. It's tough. Do I give Phoenix a chance? Uh, a very, very slight one. Uh, I think the biggest issue is the bench. If you look at, in particular, game two, their bench combined for four points on two of 16 shooting. Obviously, campaign's going to have to step up if Chris Paul's not playing, and then that puts residual pressure on guys like Damian Lee, Landry Shamit, Terrence Ross. Those guys have barely been in the rotation. I, uh, It might just be a bridge too far. 
I'll tell you what, Denver are looking very good and Murray's looking excellent. Michael Porter Jr. is actually playing defense, which has been a deficiency in the past. He's got buy-in. Aaron Gordon is looking excellent. I think they should be championship favorites. I really do. Now, there's a lot of way to go between now and mid-June or whenever it is, but I really think they should be favorites at the moment. They are looking magnificent. The one game they lost this playoffs, they still nearly managed to snatch when they were down by a hefty margin with not many minutes left. So I think the Nuggets, this is their chance and they really need to try and embrace it with both hands. Yeah, I mean, the only counterpoint to that, I guess, is the fact that, yes, they won their previous series, but it was against Minnesota and they've won two games against Phoenix who are banged up. So I guess, you know, you could maybe look at it that way. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Denver certainly are looking more likely to get through than anyone at this stage. And I dare say Golden State and the Lakers are probably going to beat each other up for seven games. So you know, there's every possibility that whoever gets through to play Denver, assuming that all goes to script, will probably be struggling a little bit. And as I said in the previous episode that when we spoke about this, Denver are a much younger team. All of their guys in Murray, Jokic, Porter Jr. are all sort of that mid to late 20s, whereas both the Lakers and the Warriors, their main stars are all the wrong side of 30. And as I said, Jokic hasn't played more than 40 minutes in a regular season game since February. So they will be fresh. You make some good points. Obviously, Minnesota aren't world-beating. Some big issues. So I watched both games one and two. DeAndre Ayton, the effort on D is poor at best. He checks in and out, it seems. Uh, The chemistry on both ends of the floor, people often talk about offensive chemistry, but there's some major defensive chemistry issues too. I think Josh Okoge gambles on defense a lot and sometimes that can pay off but you know when you're playing a guy like Jokic if you gamble on D he'll make you pay and Murray's a good passer too so yeah I think that Denver I mean I think a sweep is potentially on the cards here I think if I had to pick this second I'll probably think Denver win this in five yeah I think gentlemen sweep could be on we'll certainly see so let's head over to the east Joey. When we last talked NBA, the Celtics and Hawks were still alive. And Boston won that one in seven in the end. I can't help but quote the great Doc Rivers and say, the Celtics are playing with their meat a little bit too much, aren't they? Yeah. I've always thought Boston were a pack of wankers, quite frankly. Um, (laughs) That's the second time in a row I've used that same sort of gag. Uh, Look, I think Boston probably made it a little bit harder on themselves. I mean, shit, Atlanta was looking good at three-quarter time. They're right in the game. I think they're up by a couple of points at three-quarter time. And unfortunately, then they just stopped making shots in the fourth. Boston pulled away, you know, the class of Brown and Tatum, a few other guys down there. Malcolm Brogdon had a pretty solid game in game six. Uh, Marcus Smart was pretty pretty good as well. So there were a lot of guys that kind of ratcheted the pressure up. And again, when you are a young team like Atlanta, and you've been ahead all game, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're down six, eight, ten points. It's like, you know, what do you do? And they start trying to get it all back in home runs. And, yeah, unfortunately, it's not quite good enough. But they'll be really, really good for the run. And I think they've got a lot lot of young guys, I guess, who I think have a a good chance of having a really good future with this team. And it'll be interesting to see whether they blow it up or not. And my apologies, I think I said Game 7 by accident. It was Game 6, of course. It was in Atlanta. But, geez, they couldn't even inbound it at the end. I didn't see the whole game, but I saw the fourth quarter. And, yeah, at the end, there was one play where they literally had to throw it off the defender three times. It was inbounded on the fourth attempt, and it sailed out of bounds. And it kind of summed it up in the end, unfortunately. 
Yeah, that was comical. Yeah. They even had two different guys try and inbound it, and same thing happened. That's right. Trey did the first two, and then they're like, eh, maybe a taller player should inbound. Yeah, and then they get the turnover instead. So Boston will be playing the Philadelphia 76ers, who you picked. And, well, maybe for good reason, because after a massive James Harden game one, they got the split and they now have home court. I must admit, I was shitting myself over that once I saw Embiid <laughs> wasn't playing. I thought, oh, would have been nice if I'd seen that before I picked them. But, yeah, geez, that was something I don't think many people were really counting on was that MVP Harden returning, as you say, 45 points, 17 of 13 shooting, six assists, Got some really, really key efforts from Paul Reed, 10 and 13, some key free throws late. De'Anthony Melton, 17 points, five of six from deep. Those two kind of kept the sixes in it. And then Harden obviously hits the dagger late. And, you know, geez, if you'd said no Embiid, Tatum goes for 39 and 11 on a really good clip, you'd think that the sixes would have got absolutely smashed in that game. Unbelievable. Did you say that was the first time since 1986? So... 37 years, that the Philadelphia 76ers won a game one in the second round. Wow. Yeah. If if this is correct. Now, it was NBA district and they did say 47 years, so they got their math wrong. But 1990, 91, 99, 2000, 01, 03, 12, 18, 19, 21, 22, all losses in game one of round two. Interesting. I mean, the more recent ones, I believe, no problems at all. Geez, you'd have thought one of those Allen Iverson teams would have probably done that, but yeah. We'd have to go back and have a look. Very, very interesting stat if it is true. And unfortunately, I, I can't remember which game it was, but I saw that PJ Tucker went the most minutes in playoff history without a field goal attempt or make 37 minutes without a shot. Yeah, it was game one. Game one. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. The thing about this for Boston that I thought was a little bit worrying at the time and, and certainly a lot more worrying before game two happened was Jalen Brown. He was 8 of 10 from the field, and you're looking at it thinking, how is someone of his quality only taking 10 shots? That was absolutely criminal in a game like that. They then go on and lose late. And look, I know they obviously ran them very, very close, but he's a guy that needs to be taking 20-odd shots a game. And look, the turnovers as well, I mean, they had 16 turnovers, that disastrous back pass from Brogdon straight to Tyrese Maxey. Shades of Rod Strickland. Yeah. Oh, man. It was, Terrible. It was it was actually probably shades of if you go back to the North Carolina-Georgetown game where Jordan hit the shot and then one of the Georgetown players turns around and threw it straight to James Worthy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, terrible. Up there with that. Yeah, it was, oh. it was pretty bad. Two questions here, Stewie. One, does Jalen <laughs> Brown have a foot half out the door? And two, are Boston a team that think they can just flip the switch? And, well you got to question their championship credentials if they think they can just flip the switch. They absolutely should have beaten a Joel Embiid-less team. I think to answer your first question, I don't think Jalen Brown does have one foot out the door just yet. And I'll tell you what, if he does, that would be so incredibly disappointing. This East is wide open. You know, they get through this series, you're playing either Miami or New York, who are, again, both banged up at the moment. So the opportunity to get back to a final series is incredibly high. And, yeah, I I mean, look, maybe they do think they can just flick the switch. And they're they're an incredibly loaded team. I mean, if you look at the guys that can put up big numbers, obviously we've spoken about Tatum and Brown. We've spoken about Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. They've got, I guess, Grant Williams who can come on and shoot some threes and, and play some pretty decent defense. Derek White's been pretty good for a decent chunk of the playoffs. He's been excellent. So they've got 
Yeah, so they've got a lot of guys that can do it both ends of the court. I mean, they're a very good defensive side as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a case of they think they can turn the switch on and off. I think they understand how talented they are. Um, but I, I think the big thing is that we talk about it being a make or miss league. If you look at the three-point shots, game one, Philadelphia, 17 of 38, nearly 45%. Game two, they're six of 30 at 20%. If the Sixers hit their shots, they're in the game. If they don't, then they get blown out. Hot take time. Joel Embiid has won his MVP. He's happy with that. They'll be eliminated this round. He doesn't care. He wanted his MVP. It's more important to him than a championship. Ah, oh, Nate, I thought you were on the bandwagon with me, but I feel like you've still got one foot on the Jokic bandwagon. Well, I don't know. I just, he's falling apart again. I still think Boston will win this series, even though Philly have taken home court. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I think it's going to go back to Boston 2-2. And that game five, I mean, that could go any which way. It could be a blowout. It could be a close game. But I still think Boston will get that. And then they'll probably go in and win game six as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame. And look, I know what you're saying going back to that MVP talk. I think Jokic has said all the right things. He doesn't give a shit about the MVP. He's obviously letting his play do the the talking on the court. He's been incredibly efficient. His team's winning games. I, I completely get that. It, look, it was a nice narrative for Embiid to win it. I just hope this series is competitive, and I hope Philly win it. I really do. I think Embiid's satisfied. I think the Celtics win. Let's go to the other side. Now, I'll admit, I haven't seen games one or two of Miami and New York. And part of that is because, well, they haven't been very close and I had to kind of manage my time. So I don't know if you've seen a hell of a lot of this. I saw a decent amount of the second half of game two. I managed to get a a pretty decent timing with the lunch break. So, yeah, I did get to see New York tie that one up. I honestly think this is as simple as if Jimmy Butler can go to the Heat win. If he can't, they don't. Agreed. Like, if you look at game two, you know, there just wasn't really enough offense. I mean, Gabe Vincent's the guy that's taking a lot of shots. Caleb Martin, Max Struess, you know, these are all guys that were either undrafted or very low draft picks. And it just doesn't really read well for Miami in terms of how they're going to, I guess, score enough points against the Knicks. And the Knicks are a little bit healthier now. They had Randall come back for game two. Barrett's been playing pretty decent ball. Jalen Brunson's balling out massively. They're getting the same sort of stuff we expect from Josh Hart, you know, at 14, 11, and 9 in 33 minutes in game two. So, yeah, I just I think if Jimmy Butler's not there to carry them, I think the Knicks win it. We've had a couple of close triple-doubles because obviously Draymond was one assist off one today as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Good to see that Brunson and Randall were back for game two because they weren't they were in doubt. Miami go home with the split, obviously. But yes, I agree. Jimmy Butler is absolutely key. But uh Kyle Lowry's looking a little bit better. Kevin loves a useful piece that they managed to kind of get off the uh the the late season kind of waiver wire, as it were. Call the scrap the scrap people call it. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, I hope these next few games will be a bit more interesting. But then again, I mean, if you look at it, like, you know, okay, like Lowry had that pretty decent game one. He, you know, he was 5 of 12 for 18. But if you go in look at game two, Love was 2 of 9, Lowry was 3 of 9. So still a little bit up and down. I just, I don't know. I, I can't see a world where Miami wins unless Jimmy Butler can play. No, I agree. I think that's fair. You know, speaking of Jimmy, fun fact about him, he's got eight career 40-point games with the Heat. 
every single one of them is in the playoffs. Yeah, well, there you go. Playoff Jimmy Butler. That tells you everything yeah. you need to know. Yeah, that's it. Look, I would love the Knicks to win this series. I, I really enjoy watching the way that they play. I love Jalen Brunson. I think he's an absolute gun. And I think he's still pissed off that he didn't make the All-Star team, so he's showing everyone up. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, the Knicks would be a fun series against either Boston or Philadelphia. I'm not sure they'd win either of them, but I think it would be a lot more fun. I, I like to see new teams forging their way through. Yeah, fair enough too. I, I just want to see long competitive series. So whatever produces the best series is what I want to say. So I guess just quickly, Shuey, a bit of coaching carousel. Mike Budenholz has been fired by the Milwaukee Bucks after their first round defeat to the Miami Heat. Unfortunately, his brother passed away during the series. It was a pretty tough time. However, kind of the worst kept secret. And had they not won that championship against Phoenix, he probably would have been fired after that season. So he's maybe lucky to have had the last few seasons that he's had and wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as an assistant on the Spurs to maybe replace Greg Popovich. You know, it's such a hard thing. And I think a lot of the times people look at Budenholzer and they go, oh man, he's so lucky. He gets to coach Giannis. He gets to coach Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, all these guys. But you've also got to look at the pressure that they're under. It's kind of almost finals or bust for them every year when you've got a team that's that stacked. No, it's a fair point. And they weren't spectacular when he started with them, so he must have done something to bring them up to speed too. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, when he started, they were coming off of a season where they were 44 and 38. The very next season, they finished 60 and 22. Giannis is an MVP. He gets coach of the year. You know, they get all the way to the conference finals and lose to the Raptors, who eventually win the whole thing. They've gone 56 wins, 46 in a condensed season, 51 and 58. So they've had very, very good results. Unfortunately, as you, as you say, though, like not really quite good enough. And yeah, they'll be disappointed that they got rolled, obviously, in the first round. They would have expected very, very big things. They should have been pushing for the finals again. And yeah, sometimes people just have to remember that it's a, it's a business. He'll get another head coaching gig for sure. Another bloke who will, who was fired by the Toronto Raptors, Nick Nurse. And Imi Odoka already has a new role after his dramas. Yeah, so Odoka's gone to Houston, which is interesting. I like the way that he coaches younger guys. Okay, maybe he doesn't have quite the, the moral compass that everyone would have liked in Boston. We're all human. We all make mistakes. You know, I'm happy to see him get another chance. And I think he will resonate with a lot of the younger guys, which Houston have a lot of. And they might be a slightly better team than they have been for the last few seasons. Pretty much since Harden left, they've been pretty shit. Yes, very shit. And they'll be hoping for Wemby too. So he could actually go into quite a nice situation if they get the uh, lottery balls falling the way they want to. He could. Now, the Nick Nurse one's quite interesting because that impacts one Trevor Gleason, who is part of his coaching staff. You have to imagine that if Nurse is gone, they may take a lot of these guys with him, which would be a real shame. But the Raptors have been disappointing. They're, they're maybe not quite as good as they were. Well, in fact, they're definitely not as good as they were when they had Kawhi Leonard. But a team that has that many good pieces in Siakam and Scotty Barnes and Ananobi, Van Vliet, all of these guys, and they're basically not doing anything. It's, yeah, it's understandable. going to be very interesting to see what they do because obviously Ananobi was mentioned in so many trade rumors at the deadline. So I just wanted to finish the NBA and, well, basically the episode with a Pat Beverly quote. I don't know if you saw this on NBA Central's Twitter. He said 50% of the players in the NBA don't love basketball. Most teammates I know who don't love basketball are the really fucking good ones. The preparation is different when you have so much skill that you can just show up to the game and get a motherfucking 30. That might work against other teams who aren't that good, but you can't do that in the playoffs. I will allow you and our listeners 
to maybe consider which existing players and, well, maybe players in the first round too who have been eliminated that might apply to? I mean, it obviously applies to probably most of the Minnesota Timberwolves. You wonder if it applies to Kawhi, I dare say. Uh, you wonder yeah. if it applies to some. Yeah. Yeah, I can say I couldn't imagine that many of the Lakers guys not liking basketball. I feel like all of those guys would be. I can maybe see some. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe he might be the only one, but I, I reckon everyone else on that team absolutely loves it. So yeah, I don't know. At fifty maybe seems a bit high. I'd believe thirty to thirty-five, but fifty is just too high for me. Fair enough. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means. We're running on fumes. Plenty of editing to do. <laughs> You've got to get up early for Auskick. Final thoughts time. Thank fuck it's Friday. That's all I can say, honestly. Amen. It has been such such a long week. But at the same time, obviously, it's still Christmas for us. The NBA playoffs are lots of fun, lots of really cool series that we think can still go seven games. And look, it's fun to look at other stuff as well. I mean, the ice hockey's been a bit of fun. Obviously, your Colts, exciting times for you. So, yeah, lots of good stuff going on. Yes, indeed. Plenty of NBA will be watching with bated breath. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.